Okay, um, I want to introduce someone to you, and then we're gonna, she's going to read for us. This is Erin Hall. Erin is our intern here at Springbrook. I was going to pause for applause, and they did it anyway. It's perfect. Um, if, if you're wondering, how do things get done around Springbrook? Erin. She is a gift from the Lord to me and a gift from the Lord to you, and you may or may not know that. So it felt important that you know her. So here's Erin. She's given me way too much credit. Um, <laughs> so, hey, friends, uh, the, our scripture reading uh, today comes from Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will ever think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard and no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, we will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children, too, will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you as we do often for this room and for these people. We thank you that... Um, I thank you that week after week you show up here and you show up in this place and you show up in our lives. And so I pray that you continue to give us eyes to see that, eyes to see what you're doing, um, eyes to see where you are renewing, eyes to see um, the places in us that you would like to put back together. I pray that you give us eyes to see your kingdom coming and eyes to see how your kingdom has come here on this earth. And so we ask in the next few minutes that we learn more about ourselves and more about uh, this world in light of you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. In my notes, I'm asking about Garth now, so I was trying to think of another question, but I didn't come up with one. <laughs> Was anyone else in town? The Goo Goo Dolls. How are they? No one. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, we, we're going to talk about heaven today. That's exciting, right? Um, our verses today are used very often uh, to talk about heaven out of Isaiah 65. Um, and so just sort of a caveat before we get started. If you're here and you think that heaven is bananas and absolutely ludicrous, then that's fine. Um, the great news about church, I don't know if you've been around church or, or how it was when you grew up. The great news is that uh, my job is to tell you what I think the Bible says about things. And then your job is to decide if that's what you think. So uh, 
you're safe. It's good. Um, but so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about heaven. I'm going to talk about it from a Christian perspective, and I am going to tell you what I think the Bible says about it. Uh, my hope is to maybe dispel some things that, that we've thought about heaven in the past and talk about how I really think um, it is talked about in the scripture. So uh, our verses today are the prophet Isaiah. So it's in the Old Testament. These are uh, the, uh, Isaiah was a prophet to the Jewish people, to the people of God, and he was a messenger of God to his people. And so God uses Isaiah in these verses to talk to his people about heaven, about the kingdom of God, about uh, what things will look like. It's essentially God saying to his people, hey, here's the plan. Like, this is where I have decided that this whole thing is going. This is where I'm taking uh, the whole thing. And so uh, these verses, they're not just found in Isaiah. In fact, um, if you read the Bible as a whole, uh, all, uh, the Bible as a whole tells the exact same story that Isaiah is telling us today. The story of rescue and reconciliation, the story of new creation, the story of the kingdom of God, this story of heaven. And so, um, like I said, how I want to spend our time today is, is to talk about um, maybe things that we have believed that aren't quite true or aren't quite what the Bible says, but also to spend our time... Um, um, learning how we can have eyes uh, to see this story, to see this story that the scriptures are, are all telling, to have eyes to see heaven. Um, uh, there is an old hymn that says that being a Christian means living with another world in view. And so that's my hope is that as we spend our time together that we'll learn how to live uh, with another wor- world in view. Um, but also... Um, my hope is that we will learn how to grow in our ability to not just see the signs of uh, the future uh, coming in the future, but that we will learn how to see the signs of the future in our everyday life. Uh, that we will learn how uh, to see how the kingdom of God impacts our everyday, regular life. How we can grow in our ability to see the future in our everyday. So there's a pastor that I listen to really regularly named Chris McDaniel. And he says this. He says, the job of a Christian is to look to the future, but also to look at the ways that the future breaks in to today. Uh, to have eyes to see the kingdom of God breaking into our today. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor gets quoted a lot around here because I love her. She says uh, that the central task of the church, so the central task of the people of God, is an imaginative task. It's an imaginative task. The central task of the people of God is imaginative. It's, it's learning how to have eyes that see heaven in our world. Uh, heaven, it, it's actually a really big deal in the Christian faith. It's a much bigger deal than I knew of for a very long time. So, um, so in order to talk about it in a new way, I'm going to use some uh, a new word and some different words um, uh, because I hope to kind of reframe some of the things that we think. And so, uh, I, in doing that, I think uh, when we talk about heaven, it's important maybe if we're creating new ideas that we use different words because um, I don't know what you know about heaven. But but I know what I grew up hearing, and the thing um, that Isaiah is talking about in our verses today, and the thing uh, that the scriptures are talking about from the beginning to the end, is much bigger than the heaven that I was taught growing up. Um, much bigger than anything that I thought about heaven. I feel like um, growing up, when people talked about heaven, they would describe heaven like an endless church service. Like we were just in church forever, praising God for eternity. There were also, we all pulled up in Cadillacs. And that was troublesome for me because I wasn't 100% sure what a Cadillac was. 
and if I should be excited about it. But then we pull up to church, and then we go to church forever, and then there's also harps, and then there's the baby angels that play the harps. Have you seen those pictures? And, and so I remember being a kid and going to a wedding where a harp was played one time, and I remember thinking, like, that's pretty good, but my music's better. And I was like, man, I'm just, it feels really disappointing that I have to listen to God's music for all of time. And a little baby angel play it. Like, why can't a grown-up play it? I don't know. Um, and and so, so heaven to me, um, when it was described or when it was painted or I saw it in paintings or things like that, um, it just seemed really boring. Like, you know, you're showing up and you're at church and, and it's boring sometimes. I can say that. It seemed like really, really boring. And when I wasn't bored by heaven, I was terrified of it. Did anybody ever scare you about it? I was so scared of it. My youth minister in high school told us that heaven was, when we entered into heaven, there was going to be a giant TV, like a jumbotron, and it was going to be playing everybody's sins right in front of you. And I, did anybody else get the jumbotron teaching? Any, thank you in the back. Um, man, the jumbotron. And I remember at first thinking that was awesome because I was dying to know what everybody did. What is better than knowing everybody's worst stuff? I can't think of anything better. And then at some point I realized, oh, that'll be mean too. Everybody will see my, and then it was not exciting. It was absolutely terrifying. So heaven for me for so long was boring or it was terrifying. I don't know what words you would ascribe to it, but here's the great news. Uh, the heaven of the Bible, the heaven of the scriptures, the fullness of the kingdom of God uh, does not resemble much of what I grew up learning about. Uh, the heaven of the scriptures, it's, it's very different, and it's a lot better. It's a whole lot better. Um, it is richer and deeper and fuller. It is more active. It is more free than, than anything I was able to imagine for so long. The story of heaven in the Bible um, is not a story about people uh, getting sucked into the sky to a never-ending church service where they drive a Cadillac to the jumbotron of everybody's terrible things. That, that's not the story of the Bible about what heaven is. Um, the story of the Bible doesn't tell the story of people getting sucked into the sky. The story of the Bible tells a story of resurrection. It tells a story of renewal and a story of new creation. When the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about the fullness of God, the kingdom of God, the shalom of the kingdom. And so that's really the word that I want to use today. If we're going to talk about new ideas, let's use new words. So instead of heaven, I'm going to use the word shalom. Uh, shalom is the word in the Bible for what Isaiah is talking about today in our passage. Shalom is the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. Shalom is where God, through the Bible, declares that the whole world is heading. That's what he says over and over again. Here's where, how this thing ends. It's shalom. Uh, shalom is a Hebrew word, and we don't have a very good English equivalent of it. Like, it's not exactly heaven, um, especially the way maybe we were taught. Uh, most often in the Bible, shalom is translated as peace. Um, but peace really isn't enough of a translation. Uh, the shalom of the kingdom of God is bigger and deeper uh, than just peace. I read once that shalom is peace times infinity. So if we take peace in our brain, we multiply it by infinity, then we're getting close to what the idea of shalom is. Uh, it's, it's a really hard thing to define. It's, it's bigger than what I think maybe we're under, able to understand. In our text today, Isaiah takes nine verses to scratch the, the surface of what shalom actually is. 
and, and so it's almost impossible to find a definition of it. It's like this word shalom is so big and so wild and so grand and so beautiful in Hebrew that nobody wants to mess it up by turning it into a word or a definition or a phrase in English. Um, but if you're here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, um, it's a really important word for us to define. It's a really important word for us to understand. And so um, I have scoured the internet uh, and other places that are much better um, for definitions. And, and so I want to read you my favorite definition of shalom. I've read it here before. Um, I think it's, it's almost perfect. It, and it's by a theologian named Cornelius Plantiga. That's a good name. Here's what he says. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It is a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom, it is bigger than peace, and it is bigger than calm. It is an active word for universal flourishing and wholeness and welcome and delight. Shalom is the way things were meant to be. It is rest and joyful wonder at the feet of a creator and rescuer. It is delight and harmony and flourishing everywhere. Flourishing in our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our relationship to creation, our relationship even uh, within our own selves. It is what we were created out of, and it is what we were created for. Shalom is love as a final word in this world, all things being put back to right, being put back to the way they were meant to be. Shalom it is bigger than heaven. It is the fullness of the kingdom of of God. And so Isaiah, in his poem, he tells us God's plan for where the world is going, God's plan for shalom, his plan of flourishing, his plan of delight, his plan of welcome and wholeness. And so if we believe that the Bible is true, uh, then that means that there's a new way, there's a way to live in this world uh, with another world in view, with the shalom of God in view. And there's a calm that happens. Because of that, I think that's maybe one of my troubles with heaven growing up was that it didn't feel very calming. Heaven made me really anxious. Uh, and shalom is different. Shalom um, brings a calm. When shalom is in view, there's a calm that happens um, when, when we believe that the world is heading toward fullness and heading toward delight, heading toward welcome, heading toward wholeness instead of heading toward a jumbotron. Uh, I, and I don't know, I don't know if, if calm is the right word. Uh, maybe it's rest. There's this calm and there's this rest that happens within us when we live as if another world is in our view. As if, as if we, if, when we live as if the fullness of God's kingdom, the shalom, is coming. There's a rest in knowing that the end of this world, the end of this place is love and peace, wholeness, flourishing, 
delight. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this week that I love, um, and the guy that does it, he brings people on, he interviews them, and, and the guy that does it is an atheist, and he was talking to a man who um, is culturally Jewish and sort of spiritually questioning, maybe an atheist, but just really kind of wondering about spiritual things. And, and so they're having this conversation, uh, um, and the man's, uh, the, the culturally Jewish man's child was asking about heaven, and the man doesn't believe in heaven, and so he was like, I don't know what to say about this, and so he met with this therapist, and his therapist was like, just say there's a heaven, and it'll just make him feel better. And so they're having this conversation about what, what do you do about this, and in the middle of this conversation where they're like, that was terrible advice, they, they have this moment where they both take this, it's like this quiet pause, and they both say uh, that they wish so much that they could believe in something more. That they wish so much that they could believe in something greater after death. Because by, by believing in those things, it would allow them to rest. They're like the, the thought behind the therapist's intention was good. That it allows rest when you believe that there's something better coming. And that was fascinating for me to listen to. This reminder that rest comes from trusting that shalom is on the way. That the end of the story is love. There is rest and hope and mercy and peace. And that's how we walk into the things that Isaiah talks about here. Uh, when we believe that shalom is where it's all headed, that means uh, that pain and loss and tragedy and despair don't get the final word in our world, right? It means uh, that they don't get the final word in our world. Uh, the, the truth is, is that there ev there's evidence all around us of what's broken in the world, right? It's very easy to see bad stuff. Isaiah gives us a list um, written thousands and thousands of years ago that still applies today. He says uh, that, that there, he gives a list of, all, of broken things. He says, in this world, things are temporary. And in this world, things get stolen. And babies die sometimes. And we bury our friends and family long before we're ready to bury them. Isaiah says our, our world is full of loss and it is full of despair. And that's still true. Our world is full of loss and it is full of despair. And God, it's loud, right? It's so loud. Death and pain and brokenness, they are so very real and they are so very loud. Some days they are the loudest words. Do you have those days? They are the loudest words, but... If shalom is where we are headed, then what that means is that the loud word isn't the final word. It means that the loud word isn't the end of the story. These are not the things that are the end of the story. It means that there's more to our life than death, more to our life than loss, more to our lives than lonely or anxious or desperate or busted. And coming shalom means uh, that hope is a mystery that lies beneath all of the hard and all of the tragic. A coming shalom uh, means that, that death and pain and loss, it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't mean that death and pain and loss are not real and are not painful or excruciating. It only means that as we sit with them, we sit with them with another world in view. We sit with them with hope lying underneath the surface. It means that we often with uh, Deeply broken hearts learn to trust that the last word in this world isn't death and the last word in this world isn't loss and it isn't despair, that the last word in this world is love. Uh, but love, shalom, it doesn't just get the final word. Uh, when we see the, the story of shalom uh, all throughout the 
scriptures, it's not just a final word. uh, It's also a living and an active and a present word. Uh, When we talk about the kingdom of God around here, um, that's the same kind of idea as as shalom. When we talk about the kingdom of God around here, we talk about it, we call it the already and the not yet. Um, And here's why. This is how Jesus taught. When Jesus taught about the shalom that was coming, the kingdom of God that was coming, um, he would say uh, two things. The first thing he would say is Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is here. And then, like, I don't know, ten verses later, he would say seemingly the opposite. And he would say, the kingdom of God is not yet here. And that's kind of confusing, right? Jesus is saying, the shalom is here. Let's celebrate it. And, oh, no, it's not here yet. And you're like, what? And so uh, the way the big church word for how we, do, we understand that is uh, called inaugurated eschatology. Basically, um, it's easier to say uh, the already and the not yet. It means that we believe what Jesus said. We believe what Jesus said is true. We believe that the kingdom of God, the shalom of God, is already at work and in our world. It's why all of the best things exist. Right? And at the same time, we also believe that the kingdom of God, the shalom of God, is not yet fully here. It's not here all the way. It's why there's still death and loss and destruction everywhere. And so our job as followers of Jesus is not just to hope and trust that the shalom is coming. That's how plenty of Christians live. We only live in the not yet of the kingdom of God. We live as homesick for heaven, living only for some future reality where everything uh, gets good again and we get the Cadillac. I don't, is there like a better car? <laughs> Ferrari. Do they, are those still made? I don't know, cars. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 that's only living in half the story, right? When we only live as homesick for heaven, uh, we only live in half the story. Uh, living as a follower of Jesus that we ha- means that we have eyes to see the shalom, not just that it's not yet here, but eyes to see the shalom that has broken into the world around us now, the shalom that has already come. It means seeing uh, that the wholeness and the fullness and the delight and welcome of God's kingdom sometimes exists in our world now. And there are plenty of pieces and glimpses of it everywhere. It means uh, also having brains creative enough to see how we can bring more of it into the world. So there's this great word uh, found in our text today in verse 17 and 18 where God says, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, creating a new Jerusalem marked by joy, And the word create there um, in this verse in Isaiah, it's, a, it's another Hebrew word, and it's another good one. It's the word uh, bara. And uh, bara is the same word used in Genesis chapter 1 uh, when God talks about creating the whole world. And um, again, uh, in the, with the word bara, there isn't really a good enough translation into an English word. Um, because create isn't even good enough of a word. So the idea of bara is the idea of creation, but um, it's kind of deeper than that. It's, it's, it's really kind of twofold. It's the idea of creating something out of nothing, and it's also the idea of transformation. The idea of creating something out of nothing and the idea of transforming what has been. And then there's another piece that kind of lies underneath the word bara. Uh, and, and, and this is what it is. Bara is only used in Hebrew for God creating. It's only used for God creating or God transforming. Uh, through Isaiah, God says to his people, I have created the world out of nothing. I will renew it. I will make it new. That's the idea of bara. This is my work. I create. I transform. 
Bara means only God can create something out of nothing. Only God breathes life into dead places, hope into broken places, beauty into ashes. Bara, only God. And here's where things get really wild. Wake up. Here's where things get wild. This creator God has invited us into the bara. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We talked about the creation mandate and the kingdom mandate. That God has invited us into the plan. That he has invited us into the creation. That he has invited us to work the ground, to bring order to it, and to go and tell the story. God has invited his people uh, into a new kind of creation. He has invited us into the transformation of this world. He has invited us to be uh, creators of shalom and bearers of shalom in our world. To bring wholeness and fullness and delight and welcome into our world. By joining God in the restoration and joining God in putting things back to right. And joining God as he makes the world the way it should be. And so we learn how to have eyes to see uh, what Isaiah says in our text today about the marks of new creation. We start to have eyes to see where things are being renewed, where people and places all around us are being restored and rescued and resurrected and renewed. This is why, as a follower of Jesus, uh, watching old buildings get restored becomes a way bigger story than an old building getting a fresh coat of paint, right? Maybe it's not for all of you, but do you ever see like something that was completely devastated and then you like go to some cool bar in it and it's amazing, right? It's a bigger story than just a fresh coat of paint. It's a a far bigger story. It means that um, addiction recovery and marriages getting put back together and suicides being prevented tell a very, very, very big story. Uh, We are to have eyes to look for and see the places in the world that are being renewed, but also the places in the world where pain and loss don't get a final word. It means that when we sit with folks who are in the middle of tragedy and we watch them fight for love and fight for forgiveness and fight for mercy and fight for hope, we are witnesses of the shalom coming to earth, the shalom of God coming to earth. And we do well uh, to have eyes to see when peace rules over conflict and aggression. When in our lives, the wolf lays down with the lamb. Did that get anybody in the poetry? You're like, in my world, the wolf eats the lamb, right? But it's learning to have eyes to see those, those like bright moments where every once in a while the wolf lays down with the lamb. It means that we become collectors of eternal moments when we see someone who de-escalates in the apex of an argument. Or when peace speaks louder than anxiety or forgiveness comes in the face of betrayal. Or when we have eyes to see uh, a human being in the middle of an election cycle. Dear God, help us. Following Jesus means having eyes to see the shalom that is all around us and giving voice to its story. Putting words on what we see, giving voice to its story. But our invitation um, from the creator God into the Barah is not just to have eyes to see the shalom breaking in, but to actually bear it ourselves. To actually bring it ourselves. This is the crazy thing. God's uh, master plan for heaven God's master plan to bring his kingdom, his shalom into the world includes us. He's wild, I tell you. His plan includes us. How does God's kingdom break into the world however it wants to, even including us? 
however it wants to, even through us, God's kingdom, it's an active thing to be part of. It's not coming one day, it's coming today. It is an active thing to be part of. So, so how do we do it? How are we bearers of shalom in this world? How do we, as we pray every single week around here, uh, join God in the renewal of all things? It seems like a really daunting task, right? If shalom is the idea of putting all things back to right, how on earth does one little person or one little church go about doing that? Like, where do we even start? Uh, there's a writer I love named Anne Lamott, and she tells this story about uh, her brother. I've told it around here before. She tells a story about her brother, and he had this huge project. He was supposed to describe 50 birds for class, and he remembered his project the night before. Ever been there? And so he's panicking, and he's like, he has these 50 birds, and he goes to his dad, and he was like, I have to describe 50 birds by tomorrow. My project's due tomorrow, and he's just freaking out. And his dad's like, calm down. Like, we, you know, we got to get started. And he's like, I can't calm down. I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to do it. And Anne Lamott says she watched her dad put his hands on her brother's shoulders and say, just take it bird by bird, buddy. Bird by bird. How do we do this? Where do we start when there is so much hurt and so much pain and so much brokenness all around us? We go bird by bird. We take one step toward hope and then another and then another. We take one step toward healing, one step toward wholeness, toward fullness, toward delight, one step toward uh, things the way they were meant to be and then another. You know the old Dr. King quote that says, um, you should run, and if you can't run, then walk, and if you can't walk, then crawl. Just do something. One step, and then another. I want to read one last quote. It's from a lady named Mary Eleanor Johns. I don't know anything about her, but it's a great quote. Uh, How do we bring shalom into the world? This is her answer. She says this, and it's actually on the screen because it was kind of long. How do we bring shalom into this world? We are able to give one drink of cold water at a time. We are able to bring comfort to the poor and the wretched, one act of mercy or change at a time. One book given, one friendship claimed, one covenant of love, one can of beans, one moment of commendation, one confession of God's presence but for the asking, one moment in which another person is humanized rather than objectified, one challenge to the set order that maintains injustice. One declaration of evil that is hiding in plain sight. One declaration that every person is a child of God. These acts accumulate within God's grace. How do we bear shalom in this world? We show up in our lives day after day, week after week. Year after year, as resurrection people who, with the final shalom in view, give whatever we have uh, in the name of love. And we have eyes to see where the shalom can be brought creatively into crisis, where it can be celebrated in success. And we just keep showing up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, trusting that God will take our very little and that he will compound it with his grace to bring shalom into the world. And so as we wrap up and the band's going to come on up, uh, my hope is this. My hope is that uh, we will stop thinking about heaven as just an afterlife. That's boring. It's not just an afterlife. It's not just some sort of future reality. That isn't the whole story. 
And that we will realize that so much of the joy of following Jesus is in the reality that heaven isn't just for later, but that it's also for now. That following Jesus means not just having another world in view, but having eyes to see that other world break into ours, to break into the here and break into the now. Not just to see it, but that we would see the invitation of the Father for us to be uh, the hands and feet bearing the shalom here and now. Um, We're going to do something we do every week. Uh, We call it Selah. It's just a pause, a quiet breath. it's just this idea that we think we don't want to move too, on too quickly. And so um, in these next few minutes, we'll just be quiet. I'll pray for us. And there will be verses on the screen if, if you want to follow along. Um, this is just one more idea. Um, if all of this is true, if shalom is coming and if, if shalom has come, then it means that uh, the kingdom of God, that the shalom of God uh, speaks into our troubles right now. Uh, It means that it speaks into our hopelessness and our depression and our anxiety and our restlessness and our exhaustion right now. And so if those are things in your life, in my life, those are places um, that I can look and see where I'm not believing that this is true. For me, it's restlessness and exhaustion. When I'm ready to move on too fast from something, when I'm ready to change something because it's not working for me anymore, this restlessness, this restless spirit in me, that is a place that I can normally find that I am believing some sort of lie or that I'm not believing that this is true. Exhaustion is another place for me. When all I do is describe myself as tired, that is normally a good sign that I'm not believing these. Maybe for you it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, fear, loneliness, I don't know what it is. Um, But I just wanted to pray about that. So we'll take a minute, I'll pray, and then we'll just be quiet for a little. So God, we ask you to come. We ask you to send your spirit here in this room and in this place. And I just pray that, um, I pray that you uh, give us eyes to see your kingdom at work all around us. And I pray that you fill us in this room with the creativity to, the creativity to join you in what you're already doing. The creativity to to be bearers of shalom and bringers of shalom step by step and day by day and week by week. I pray for those of us that um, would describe our lives right now as desperate or as painful or as depressed or anxious, restless, exhausted. I pray that as we see these things in our heart that you will remind us that they do not have the final word in our lives, that they are not the most true thing, that they are real and they are painful, but that they do not tell the whole story. And so God, we ask you to fill this room with hope.